This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Sebastian Myhot, CEO of D-Box Technologies, Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is DBO on the TSX. D-Box creates realistic, immersive entertainment experiences by moving the body and sparking the imagination through effects, motion, vibration, and texture. D-Box has collaborated with some of the best companies in the world to deliver new ways to enhance great stories, whether it's movies, video games, music, relaxation, virtual reality applications, metaverse experience, themed entertainment, or professional simulation. D-Box creates a feeling of presence that makes life resonate like never before. This full description is according to the company's website. I invited Sebastian on the show today to discuss D-Box's haptic technology solutions and creating a new market, the moat around D-Box's technology and solutions, competitive landscape, and working with content creators, and Sebastian's three to five-year vision for the company. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Sebastian Mylot, CEO of D-Box Technologies. Sebastian, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing, man? Fine, and thank you for having a board. Really happy to be there. And so we had to have a, a chit-chat as well for you and all the people that's going to be watching that. Absolutely. No, I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, and I sound like a broken record when I say this, but, you know, I've definitely known of the company for a while now. And I'm just glad that we have the opportunity here to to dive a little deeper into the story. So, you know, my first question that I ask everybody on here, so uh, you're no different. I'm going to ask it to you too. You know, what, when we think, when you think about D-Box Technologies, what would you say is that one line that best describes the company? I'm going to be first tricking you. So before I'm going to answer that line, but I love to start with the market or what is happening, right? So so for me, people think sim racing, they talk roller coasters, theme park theaters, and they all have something in common. Everyone are building immersive experiences, right? People are trying to engage users. Even in professional simulation, it's the same thing. So they want to engage. In the past, it was all about the audio, right? Seeing things and and hearing things. And what is D-Box is we bring, D-Box is an aptic technology company that makes entertainment and professional training experiences more realistic and more immersive by involving the body and, vi- and vibrating to all those textures and motions, motion cues. Very good. All right, well, hey, look. You did. I appreciated how you know you started. You start a little differently, but then we got to that one line. So that's good stuff. And you know what? It's actually interesting when I was you know you know doing my research and getting everything ready to go. You know, I I did an interview on our podcast, Planet Microcap, I think like four years ago now, talking about the power of haptic memory and and how that is very much integral to technology disruption. So you know, having said all that and trying to more or less prove out that thesis in many <laughs> respects, you know, let's let's look at the history of D-Box. You know, when was the company founded? What was the original thesis for founding? And what exactly specifically is it that D-Box does on the haptic technology front? It, it, it's really interesting story, but I'll, I'll make it short. So first, D-Box was a speaker loud company. They were making some kind of subwoofer for the audio, audio people. 
And at some point in time, also some of the users were using those subwoofers close to their chairs because they wanted to vibe. Because sometimes, you know, when you're a subwoofer, you, you get a vibration or boom. So they were trying to have that. And that was the haha moment for D-Box. And from that point, they said, you know what? We're going to have a great thing that experience that people will be able to feel everything like guitar string, gunshots, motion. And, and, and this was the moment. It was a long time ago, even before we were talking about the immersive experience. But that was the foundation. So D-Box, the challenge that they had. So D-Box at that point in time built a priority end-to-end solution. So when you talk about an experience, it's okay. If I want to add texture to a movie, how do I code my effects? How do I distribute my effects and even creating the hardware? So, so if you want to move or you want to shake and have those rattles. So that's what debugs became. So the 15 years ago, we built that technology to be able to code, distribute, and prove the rendering of Aptic. And of course, to think and around around any type of content. So of course. Linear content, when we think movie or series, right? When you you look at something, it's always the same thing. But think about gaming. Sometimes you're going interactive. So I don't know if you're going to be jumping, going on the left, on the right. So we needed to create that technology. So that's what D-Box built. And the, the, the most important part of that technology is first, it's catered to any type of content, movies, series, game, VR, etc. So we're able to craft that. But the second aspect that is really important is the precision, because uh, if you want to if you want to be synchronized to an experience, and I'll take in some e example, that was really the difference. Just having an actuator that shake or something like that, it was existing. But how could you be as precise as millisecond? Because let, let's say you're in a movie and you have a gunshot, right? It's a, it's a fraction of seconds. So if you have a fraction of second, the gunshot, you see it. And it takes a second later, it would have been different. So D-Box is in the premium haptic experiences when the precision of building an, an experience close to the realism and close to reality is to the millisecond. And in terms of movement, it's due to the micro thin hair type of capacity we're having to do that. So when people are building experiences with precision, D-Box is the reference by far. If you just want to shake, rattle and have G-Force, we can do that. But there's other technologies that can have that. So that is what we do, and we're able to gather that to various markets. Very good. So, you know, how would you say, you know, you kind of got into it a little bit, but uh, you, that was a really good des description of exactly what you do. But how would you say your haptic technology is different from some of your competitors out there? You mentioned that there's other actuators out there that if you want, like, the basics of the immersive experience, but yours, it sounds like the biggest difference is the fact that you're really focused on precision. So yeah, I'll let, so, I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, perfect. And I'll, I'll, I'll simplify the technology in three steps. Let's call that the creation process, the distribution, and after that, the rendering. First thing that is important, uh, when you, you, you build an experiences, uh, there's it's a storytelling right that you, that you get a, 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 a publicity or an advertising is a storytelling a movie as an intention so the first thing that is important is making sure that the layer of effects we're adding goes with the storytelling and I'll give you an example let's say we would be in Star Wars and let's say it would be the force and again with the rebels well you can have different vibes into the movie about saying when I'm with when I hear that vibration, this transmits me to the Darth Vader dark side, the only other one. So that's where there needs to be uh, uh, the precision and all the, 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 
the number of effects you can provide can be tailored to the storytelling. So, so let's call that this is adaptation of storytelling and be able to have like 65,000 cues that we can put on various tape. This is the first digitizing version is storytelling and adaptation. The second part is the rendering, because let's say you're sitting, so you distribute those codes, but of course, ultimately you're your user, right? You're at home, Robert, or you're at the theater and you're sitting on something. So what is the most important is, is how do those cues that let's say are getting coded or in the query get translated to your body? And, and what is important as well is, again, if you're seeing a movie and the car goes left, you wanna go left at the same point in time, maybe in the following scene, it goes on the right, so you need to adapt in real time to be able to connect to the storytelling. And as well, you're able to make sure that it properly vibrate to your body. So making a good experience does proper storytelling. It needs as well to know which part of your body does the transmission or the vibration has more. And as well that the rendering is precise, so it's synchronized with the screen. So you see something, you hear something, and it has to happen in real time with that. So this is where I'm talking about precision. Talk about drum. If you go drum, it goes quick click. Just imagine if you would have drum and it would be offbeat, right? People are saying you're not good in music, you're offbeat. So for us, that precision is people wants to have the experience as if it will be real life. Same thing. So no simulation. It's simulation, but it's it's it's, it's being realistic. Absolutely. So what would you then say is the company's true mode or protection over the technology? Because, you know, what's stopping maybe, you know, someone else with the better mousetrap saying, oh, we can make this experience even more precise with our actuators versus the box. You know what? Love to hear your thoughts there. Good question. First, after many years, I'm surprised. Well, we have competition, right? But I'm surprised that's nobody yet on the planet has succeeded to put if all the pieces of what we do. So to your question, there's twofold is first building and experiences, you need to master multiple angle or multiple aspects. So you need to master the hardware, you need to master the software, you need to be connected to content creator, you need to master the distribution and algorithm. So there's many things you need. You need to understand the body, how it reacts to frequencies. So one of the reason of all that one is yes, we do have patents or all the component as just mentioned, Robert, but I would be simplifying for two things in terms of buyers to entry. There's so many things you need to control to, to be connected to, which is complex. So that's why people are just figuring out one part of the process or they're just specialists in one of them. So we understand for many years, all the other dimension. And after that, that that's maybe my first layer, understanding all those components and putting them together. It's like doing a cake with multiple ingredients. The second thing would be as well as I would be saying is our coding mechanism. Because like I said, yes, as we're saying, where there's more and more competitions on the hardware side, right? Technology is getting better and better. But if you have an actuator, but you don't know what to do with that, it's like I have a hammer, but I don't know what to do with that, right? So the part is are our software and now we use AI and our basis of working with content creator, we have that knowledge of being able to craft stories and, and with software. So that's the software part right now, which is the, the, the recipe that is helping us to be different. And I'm sure we're going to talk later. There's a licensing model down the road as well. 
Very good. So I also then want to now talk about some of your, you know, the product base and your main targets, because clearly there's there's a B2C model right here. Yeah. I mean, you say right there on your website that this is for movie theater, home entertainment, sim racing, gaming, simulation and training, attractions and theme parks. So clearly there is a B2C for folks that want to have a more haptic experience or just the, you know, yeah. have the buzz <laughs> at home. And then also working with the movie theaters and whatnot on, you know, maybe upgrading their experiences more. So can yeah. you describe a little bit of the key target markets? What's been, yeah. I guess, let's say faster growers or small, like give us a breakdown. Perfect. So, so, and I'm going to be, uh, so first we have two, three strategic market right now with major 90% of our revenue. So what's going to pay the bill and growing for the next three years? It's theatrical venues. So of course we talk about exhibitors, Cineplex, Cinemark, and those all those company. But of course there's cinema getting placed into a hotel and things like that. So let's call that cinema venues. We have as well everything around racing and automobile. So of course it could go at home, but there's now NASCAR we're playing with. We're with the F1. There's sim racing center. So racing and automobile is a big one. And the third one as well is professional simulation. When now in that segment people don't buy it for entertainment purposes, they buy in to reduce the cost of training. One thing that is common around that is I'd like to make the excuse me the, the comparison is like if let's say we were referring in the car business I'm we are not building cars we are selling the motors that go into any type of cars so so our model is not B two C and this is it's B two B two C so to your point Robert even if you can come on our website for let's say even a, a gamer or, or a racer at home. We sell what we, we, when I joined as CEO, I decided to focus the company on what we were fantastic, meaning the haptic experiences, the hardware, the software, and all that, and to work with integrators or resellers that would be integrating my technology. They would have a better knowledge of the market that we more sizable than me to accelerate growth. So it's more B2B2C, even if at the end it's either user or consumer that are using the end product. Absolutely. So, I mean, is also part of the strategy is going to some of maybe these OEM manufacturers, not just the content creators, but then also going to, you know, maybe some of the, the movie theater chair manufacturers or some of the gaming chair manufacturers, some, something where like, that, you know, part of the experience is where the consumer is actually going to be sitting and or actually experiencing the content, you know, working with those that are providing the actual furniture, so to speak. Yeah. Like, are you working with them as well? Yeah, so we're working, as you see, on two ends. So the the, the first news is, and I'll say, say, let's say we want to be at one uh, on one part the app, the the, the Netflix of AppTech. So as you say, we have business development with content creator, gaming studio, Hollywood studio, F1, with access to their content to be able to widen the range of experiences we can bring to under market. So this is a part of the development, which is part of our core technology. To what Robert you just said, definitely in all our segment, and I'll take some angle. Let's say into racing. Well, we're working with Track Racer or PlaySeat, which are leader in the racing segment, and of course we are. They are reselling our system and integrating into their rig that they would be seeing either in the commercial market or the consumer market. So this is the approach we're having. Um, same thing if we go professional simulation. Our simulator are used by John Deere and Caterpillar but we work through an integrator. So to your point, Robert, yes, we approach seed manufacturing, OEM, reseller, gaming accessories, 
that wants to bring the immersive experience, the haptic experiences. They don't have that knowledge. So we're bringing the technology platform that we're having both on the software part and the hardware part, but they're making the final product and they are the first one connected to their consumer. Very good. All right. So now I want to talk, you know, just on the business itself and its overall yep. performance. You know, you, uh, the company, uh, you report by fiscal calendar or, or right. Yeah. Fiscal calendar. Fiscal. Wait, what's March, your yeah, so March 31st. Yeah. Yeah. yeah March. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you mentioned in the in your full year 2023, um, the increase in uh, revenue increase was due primarily to the increase in system sales for both commercial and home entertainment markets. And then on for your second quarter, uh, 2024 uh, fiscal, you put that out in November 2023. Yep. You said it was due, the revenue increase um, was due to uh, sales, increase in sales to theatrical customers. You know, also like to mention that for the fiscal 2023 you were uh, not profitable, but then the Q2 2024 was your first quarter of profitability. So love to understand better as to why there was this increase in interest in the, your immersive technology in all three of those markets and, and why. Perfect. So first from a financial standpoint is yes, the well, I mentioned earlier that we had three strategic markets. So yes, it's not linear every quarter, but the three segments I mentioned, theatrical, racing, and professionalization, the three are growing. And we're looking at growth that we want to have at the 15% level from an organic standpoint. So if you look at the trend of the last years, they are all growing. Yes, we had to do, I was I was named CEO at the start of the COVID. So I had some fun, but I, I like to say from a global standpoint, and I'll simplify that, we're at $25 million company before COVID, we went down at 11, after that 22, after that we're 34, and uh, after the last quarter, our trailing 12 month was at 42. So in terms of trajectory, and after that I'll come back, this is definitely something, but it's coming, uh, Robert, for the three market, and I'll come back on some of the reasons of those markets are, are increasing for market trend purposes. On the profitability, well, three things I would like to mention. Well, with change in management, change of management, many differentiations. So one of the things for me that was important even during COVID is was the same thing. A company after many years at the size we were, we needed to improve profitability. Yes, growing, but but before that, most of the, the profit was reinvested specifically. So I'd be more than happy to reinvest all the time, but people need to see a damn profit at the end, right? So it has to prove the model. So Based on that, we restructured the company. So we are now running a bigger company than pre-COVID in roughly 100 employees. We used to be 145 and people are not jumping on the wall, meaning it's it's stable. So the focus we have decided has helped in that category. I did say as well that because we're a public company, there's some governments and we're on multiple countries. There was a bare minimum, but around that 30 million-ish level of revenue that's where you start to pay the bill, the foundation of the bill, and it's going to kick in on the EBITDA and on the profitability. So to your point, Robert, we went from a scenario in, the, of course, a minimal EBITDA at, in a, before COVID to, of course, loss in one year, 1 million, 1.10 million. And now after six months, we were at 265% EBITDA, so 2.3 million EBITDA for six months compared to 600,000 the year before. So that trajectory of the cost structure in the model is paying off. And to your point, Robert, 
again, trending. We cannot talk about the future. We're a public company, but the company has never did a, a positive net income in the life of D-Box. And, and you can be seeing the trend after, after the more we are, we are getting there. So it goes from positive EBITDA to discretionary cash flow that we have right now to, of course, positive income. So this, but the, it's coming really from the three segment. And, and, uh, and the only thing I could be seeing is the, the aptic market of that notion or immersive experience, right? It's not, now it's becoming part of the norm, right? It's an industry is norm. Uh, you have, uh, of course, all the, 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 the millennials that are requesting that or brand connectivity, they're trying to connect more with the, with the user specifically. So there's, as we say, all the immersivity about everything is going virtual, such as gaming, but people wants to create a, a meta. So all those trends are there that immersive experience is not part of their life. It's a minimum request. The technology is there to sustain that. So that's why I make that connection as well. We do good things at D-Box and as well now there's a there's a trend that's going to be there for a long period of time and forever. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, when you when you look at the company's chart, you see the revenues that generate. Yeah, okay. Net profit, right? You know, not net income, net profit. But like, I think, do you, would you say probably the one thing that maybe some investors probably, when they're taking a step back, of like, okay, D-Box, I get it. You know, this interesting haptic technology, you know, clearly works. You know, you have this immersive experience. But I think the question comes up where it's like, all right, is this more of a, a need to have versus of, all right, this happy to have it kind of kind of type technology. How would you think about it that? I mean, I know you just said that now more immersive technology are becoming more industry standard because people want those, you know, I guess level up type experiences. Right, but I'm just I'm just curious as to how you, how you think about it from that perspective. So so I'll do one thing for uh, now. I'll just address to to share those. So one thing that's more qualitative, but as we're talking facts, and we're going to be using as to that our figure. So one thing I think that is important because the box has been around forever. So so there was another story, but it was that the market was not ready. And this at some point in time, and again, I'm not trying to say D-Box should be this, and they were not right, but there's a different market readiness into the market about what is happening. 10 years ago, I could ask you, Robert, did you were you talking about immersive entertainment? Generally speaking, the answer was no. So there's a big fact. But on the factual part, which I think are, are, are important for shareholders is, and I'll, I'll split that, we have two segments, right? So to your question, do people need that? In some category, no, but our, our job is to focus where people are paying. So I'm going to be using two examples. In professional simulation, we reduce the cost of training and we improve training. There's a ROI to that. And it's proven from a scientific point of view as well. About And we, did, we do some third-party scientific that the effect of bringing the training more immersive and more closer to reality has a significant improve on the quality of the training and on the reduction of the training, so cost. So there's definitely a ROI that is getting there. So that's why there are more people going into that direction. On the entertainment, I'll start, Robert, to say, yes, yeah, some might be just saying it's gimmicky or something like that, but I'll put that in figures. Our occupancy rate of our theatrical seats, when everyone says they're going to be dying, are 50% higher now than pre-COVID. 50% higher. So... It means there are people that are paying, more and more people that are paying. So the good news is with that premium offering, cinemas are bringing moviegoers. There's a premium to go debug. We bring new source of revenue as well. So definitely, so so, and that's why 
that market is expanding. So Robert is aptic at the readiness level and everything around the lab, the answer is not, not necessary, but in multiple area, we do bring even in entertainment, new crowd, new brand connectivity, ROI, new source of revenue to some market, which enable them to grow. So that's why for me, this is clear. There's some fact right now that I'm, that are trending positively and they're not just assumption. They are numbers driven. Absolutely. So, I mean, along those same lines of what, you know, how investors are pro have, you know, look, the company's been around for a while, like we said at the top, you know. And so, I mean, you know, now that the company's gone through a little bit of a a reboot, so to speak, yep. right? I mean, I mean, it's been kind of like a four-year reboot, oh, right? I, I, to I, be fair, we're, yeah. we're being fair. <laughs> so, I mean, like when you when you've talked to maybe folks that were previously in the story or trying to get a better understanding of where the company is now, you know, what are what are, what do investors maybe still get confused about or still trying to better understand about the new direction for D Box? And maybe we can answer some of those frequently asked questions here. Yeah, and uh, yes, and you can be, Robert, you can be tough on me. I have some tough uh, questions. I, I said reboot, you know. You know it's no, no, like no, a, no, I'm okay, but my, my, it's fair because one of the thing, and and, and and I understand that is there's been many, and I'll start from that little bit. There's been many, there's been many investors that bought the box throughout the years. And the, the first, before even the stock return, the performance was not there. And of course, you're expecting a return, right? Because we compete from all those ones. So, so this, uh, I would be saying D-Box historically has not been a success of execution. And of course, after that, there's stock performance, right? Let's forget the the, the economic cycle. So this is about, so, so the first thing that I still get, and when I was named, and of course, I did my first tournée at the start of the COVID, I said to people, so I think first in the past, there was a reason but what was said, the expectation that was created into the market and what was realistically making sense was some kind of awkward, why there was that gap of expectation. Specifically, if I tell you, Robert, that I'm going to be a 200 million company next year and I'm at 60 million, might be a great company, but I, based on expectation, you won't be happy. So, so I think the first thing that was important when we when I was named specifically, and I'm not saying that everyone likes Sebastian and everyone would have something different, but I was saying, here's how I'm executing. Hopefully listen to me, but don't listen to me. Hopefully what I'm going to be saying and we're going to be trend there, we're going to be some kind of similar. Doesn't mean that everything I'm saying is going to be perfect, but the trajectory we're creating is going to be there. So it was, we are, we, we are doing it. But of course, all of that, Robert, was we need to, at some point in time to see that there might be something different, right? Before saying that people are moving into a, a direction. So that's what we did. So that's why I'm happy with what we did in the last three years, four years. During the COVID, during a China closure, geopolitics situation, the company sustained to come to the best shape ever and best quarter ever. To your point, what is next specifically, it's okay as well. First, the first thing I think, because of the history, people need to really put at some point in time to say, okay, this is different, right? I heard that story. It's this. Maybe I was burned specifically. Now the market is ready and I'm convinced of that specifically. And this, I need to look, as you just say, a reboot of that company. But of course, there's a there's a leap of faith because of the history. So that's the most important part. The second part as well is, is, is definitely, is it's okay. We won't have a perfect quarter every quarter specifically. But it's fair to see, okay, now we're trending, we will continue to trend. So if I'm telling you that the market is growing, 
maybe I can have one tough quarter, two tough quarter because of some contextual things, but I need to figure out a way to grow. So, so, so rather the only thing I would be saying to shareholders is, is, is listen to what I just said, make your research, but immersive entertainment is going everywhere. Aptic is going everywhere. It's a, it's an industry and D-Box is well positioned in the premium experience around that because we've been there forever when there was no industry. And this, I, I will say there was no history or no traction into the market. And it creates twofold. First, it creates leadership to continue growing. And if we play our thing is right, it means creating a nice value that if at some point in time a big player wants to enter, it's going to make more sense to buy than build because it's going to be saving a lot of time. So still plenty of growth, but uh, we don't know what the future is going to look like. You know, Sebastian, this is why I love doing this podcast, because, you know, this is, you know, you could take one look at your, you know, max chart for the stock and clear and be like, oh, my gosh, like hey, uh, I don't know, you know, but when you actually hear, you know, the history and a little bit more of the context of the story, the chart clearly matches everything that you just said, where, you know, you guys probably went public, people are thinking to themselves, oh, this, this is going to be the technology of the future, like immersive, great. Here's the tech that's going to do it. And then, of course, but when you then go to market, it's the industry just wasn't there yet or wasn't ready for it yet. So as as that happens, you know, in classic case, stock plummets because, you know, it, it wasn't that you weren't actively trying to sell. It's just there wasn't a market yet for it. And then COVID hit and it's like, who's going to theaters? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, and, and, and we need to and have a tighter. Yeah, we need to have a tighter ship. And Robert, that's why. And, and I'm OK that the shoulders yeah. challenge because. Like I said, we compete. We compete against other competitors to have that. It makes sense. And again, I told you we have three strategic markets. Robert, I could tell you, I could tell you that we're in the theme business. I could tell you that we did some positioning in the gaming. I could tell you that we have some. But at some point in time, there's different markets within this and the way to play them. And of course, some are sec some are more sexy, right? To to go public. And sometimes some are taking two, three years, but you know, in the market, of course, people that want momentum, they want to always have short-term action. So that's why what I just said, that the core focus is those three one. And one thing I'm going to be adding is when we're talking and we made some strategic positioning and you asked me earlier, what is the secret value in D-Box? It's, it, it, it's, it's the library of contents, the production of content. So in simulation, I have those big actuator and all that knowledge, but let's say I would be going in a home product. Let's think, Robert, down the road. Do I want really to build a cushion or a glove or thing like that? There are many companies that are better to do that and are spending 100 million. What I can provide them, because before that I couldn't, is say, okay, hi, you have that cushion, Robert, right? Do you want your cushion to have 3,000 3, titles and that have all that gaming and all driven so I can now use my software codes, drive third-party device, and of course, connect with them with their market readiness. So of course, now I'm selling that turnkey solution from that commercial market, and but I'm building through showcases and a couple of saves the value of the Aptic library. Let's call that the Net Netflix Aptic library. So people are going to be saying, so this as well is to build. It's not done over three months, but that's the secret recipe where we have all those connections, those cards, those library plus AI driven. Uh, so this is now why we can secure a lot of content for a lot of players and drive a lot of devices. So in the future, I will love my licensing model. Absolutely. All right. Well, so another question that I ask everybody on here and uh, you're no different. Um, again, uh, I mean, look, we're the main downside risk always is execution at the end yep. of the day. 
So, I mean, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the other uh, companies' downside risks when folks are thinking about DBox? But I, I think there's two things. So, so the good news, we're across market, we're across the business, but of course, all economic and geopolitical risk have situation. I think Nepal in the COVID, when your your technology and your electronics coming from China, if it's stopped by six months, people will yell at us. But that's something that, of course, it's it's there. We need to manage them. But that is something definitely. And we're talking about political things that would be changing or market getting closed into uh, exportation. So this is for me, Robert. If I'm looking really, let's say zero to twenty four months, right? This is for me the two things right now that that are more important. Uh, and 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 what? And as an example, we talked about it. This is the this is the key one. Some will say, and I'll say that for me, yes, there's competition. I think we can pivot yeah, different things specifically. I'm not saying that competition cannot arrive, but I think in terms of what we do, uh, competition is happening progressively. But I think we have still a good road right now to that that that, that I, I don't. I'm not saying that I never see right. We're always looking, but it's more much more less something that I have for the short term. Very good. Another question I got for you is, you know, obviously the company is really working towards profitability. How do you? maintain the idea of focusing on profitability while also really focus on growing the business and growth? Well, when the, the good news or the bad news, I used to be a CFO before being a CEO. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a part of that profitable that's growth. good. I think that's good, right? <laughs> no, I, I, for yeah, me, that's good. it goes yeah. to your question because definitely, as you know, well, typically you're going to have CEO on one side and a CFO working together, but you notice that balance. So for me, Robert, it, it, this is practical. So and, and, and it, it's well, it's paying off in, in, in the tough economy. So so the way to do that, and this is the message we're having internally. Okay, now we reach that point, and I'll 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 use example, Robert. They're not so. Let's say we want. So every time we're finishing a year, it's saying um, even if the market is tough, my target with the group is to grow. Right? I don't I don't control everything, but it's to grow. But every time. Robert, you know it's easy. People are gonna say, "I want three resources, five resources, six resources." My show, my my situation right now is always the same thing. Here's our bear. If we do more, you're gonna have more, and not all of it. So all of that growth of sales, there's a part that we have some 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 rule of thumb that we're saying. Let's say a million of new profit. We might be saying internally, seventy percent goes to the bottom line, thirty percent can be reinvested. So the I'm gonna say being the the discipline. No matter what our shareholder would say, I would want to have less. And yet I'm comfortable with the way we run the business, but this is where. So to your question, Robert, is this practical application? We 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 manage or forecast growth, but we manage on if the company was not growing. And, and when we take some risks, they need to be risks. We can manage into a quarter or something like that. So I'm not taking a five-year bet with the time coming we're having. So yes, the, the opportunity is there, but I don't have 100 million in the bank account or something like that, though. So this what practical, pure, simple, basic for how to reinvest capital. Very good. All right. So my final question for you today, because you know you did special, did, did a pretty good job, man. I appreciate you know being because being of open, you, honest, and everything. Hey, look, you know, I'm just trying to just trying to get just trying to get to all the information so folks can you know do, you know go and follow up and whatnot. So my final question then for you here today, you know, from what you can tell us, and in your opinion, of course. Where would you like to see this company in three to five years? And what would you say are the inflection points that'll get you there? 
for me, so the my my the, in three to five years right now, I would want that the the increase of the AppSec market allows for a, a, an impactful impact on the licensing model. Because as I said right now, we pick some strategic market that we're able to sell the I2N solution with everything we have specifically. But uh, I do believe that D-Box can have a significant impact, as I said, with my software in the library. So this right now is we have a few, but meaningful, it has to be meaningful for the company. So in three to five years right now, I would want that the company has pivoted from, a, let's call that more a hardware sales type of company, right? And now more, even if we have some recurring, a recurring on the theatrical business model, but to a licensing model where more people are buying or licensing library or our coding facility or annual licensing coding for those things specifically. And, and that way we could bring all those experiences because that's what people are buying. If they're buying a cushion, they're not buying a cushion. They're buying experiences. It's like buying a, a console gaming and you don't have any game, no purpose. But that would be my, that's where I see. So we need to be fit on the profitable growth of making sure we keep our profitability but making sure we have the strategic positioning so that positioning we're having right now, we're able to monetize that at a higher level and from three to five years down the road. Very good. All right. I mean, one last question for before I, I let you go. I now, mean, all the last question you want, Robert. It's the, la the last one. I mean, you know, when you think more about D-Box, I mean, this seems like one of those things where it's like, you know, as the, as the market continues to mature, you know, you would imagine that one of these consumer electronic companies or something like that is going to be like, all right, like let's let's just pony up, let's just yep. get let's just take D box off the off the board. Now we have this tech. Here we go. I mean, that seems to be the most reasonable, logical move here for any of these larger tech companies that are just like, all right, we don't want to develop this all ourselves. Like, why don't we just bring in the best or the one that has the most market share, or even is just is a player in this space yep. and then just kind of go from there. I mean, is that, I'm sure some folks have kind of thought about it like that, huh? Uh, yeah, Robert. And, and for me, it's important, right? We're a public company. Of course, it has to be the best public, move for shareholders, but, of course, but yeah, I'm just- But, but, but yeah. for sure, but, but to your point, but yes, and I'll, I'll, again, so definitely uh, I do believe, and again, as we're progressing, it brings, but I'll give you two, three angles to answer your question, Robert. So definitely by Epsi getting bigger, there's different way you can look at D-Box and C-Value. And I'll create just two or three that goes into Robert, your question. Well, boring one. Okay. IMAX have a thousand screen. We have a thousand screen. If they were just connecting that and being aptic and all those things, you would be doubling the recurring. You would be doubling all that specifically. So it's a great value, let's say, from that one. You said as well, okay, I am a Razer, Cooler Master, Logitech, and I want to put Aptic into racing, into gaming specifically, and I want to have a competing edge. Well, of course, you integrate specifically, and you want to have the technology. So to your, and you go to Sony, Sony, they have that uh, VR on the PlayStation, you have the gaming, they have the music, they did Gran Turismo into the racing. So another one specifically that could mean, you know what? I want to create that specifically. So to your point, Robert, definitely for me is, of course, I would, like that the stock more reflect what I feel is a realistic value, but I know that the market is tough and I understand the some shareholders to be that. That being said, for me is, yes, the only thing I'm saying, this, what we're building, if you look like a balloon it with all the colors specifically, there's various angles from a strategic partner to be able to extract the value. Of course, 
you need to cater the story. You need to start with strategic discussion, which 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 could be unfolding, because there's multiple ingredient on the cake, which is called VBox. But yes, Robert, if we that's why we uh, uh, make sure to have good great financial. But on top of that, if your strategy position, I'm not saying it takes three months, but that might have a sizable or bigger effect on the potential that that stock could have into a, the proper hand in the proper condition. Very good. All right. Well, Sebastian, we're there, man. Where can our audience go and find more information to follow along the D-Box technology story? Uh, well, definitely, if you want to have everything on our website, so d-box.com, definitely it's there. We have our investor as a public company investor situation. We try as well to do every, we have a webinar that people as well could go into our website or social media. So we try to have certain earning calls, but every quarter we're trying to have an update specifically. So that's with the way to connect and definitely we can be reached and we're working with the IR firm definitely for one-to-one -one meeting. So Anytime we're going to be available, the more people know about D-Box, the more we're going to have a success. And yes, I want to have success for shareholders. I'm a shareholder as well. And I see the stock. So, but we're working to bring the value as much as possible and have strategic value. Very good. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Great pleasure. Thank you, Robert, for that uh, opportunity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.